welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. It's good to worship the Lord, amen? His presence is here. You know, it's amazing to me how uh, as we were worshiping, I, I felt like I saw a picture of an angel wearing a watch, a big old watch. And uh, it was like he was pointing at the watch. Time. It's time. You know, God works on time. He works through time. He points to things that are important to us that are dependent on his timetable. You know, when, when Jesus was about to go away, uh, you know, we, re, we read uh, Luke's account of it in uh, the book of Acts chapter 1, where Jesus uh, is telling his disciples, wait in the city of Jerusalem till you're clothed upon with power from on high. You receive power after ability, a power to be witnesses, you know. Uh, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And the disciples said, well, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know, but it's in the Father's hands what the times and the seasons are, right? And, um, but nevertheless, we need to be aware of God's timetable. And there are certain things that we should do on a regular basis in order to maintain our relationship with him. And we're going to look at um, one of those examples in, in a few minutes. So, Father, we ask you, Lord, to just give us an awareness of your time. Help us to know what time it is. Help us to buy back the, the opportune moments that you give us, Lord, and to use them, Lord, and to structure our lives so that we're considerate of your timetable, not just for your return, but, Lord, for meetings with people, for opportunities to witness and to pray and to care and to share your word. Please bless this day and your word in Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to talk to you about Left Behind Part 2. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, the last time I spoke in this service, you may remember I, I called the message Left Behind, but I wasn't talking about the coming of the Lord based on the best-selling series about the last days. I was talking about how Jesus was finding it necessary to get his disciples ready for his day of departure when he would personally leave their presence and go back and return to heaven and how he would uh, send the Holy Spirit in his place. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you another comforter. The Greek word there, aios, means a, a person of like kind, right? A, a, a counselor, a comforter, an advocate of the same kind as I am. So he wasn't going to leave them as orphans, but he was going to send his spirit to them. So in preparation for that, we read from John chapter 13, and I believe all the way through chapter 17, what's called the farewell discourse, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, 
and recorded by John at length discussing um, all the things that, that they might need to know. It's a, it's a divine download given to them in order to prepare them for his personal departure. And so he, he downloads to them. He talks about uh, things they are going to need, truth and boldness and understanding and empowerment, assurance and conviction, talks to them about his abiding presence. We'll not leave you alone. My father and I are going to come to you. And then another place he says, the spirit is going to come. And uh, paradigms in prayer, when we, we read in John 17 where Jesus begins to pray, he's giving them an example of what their prayer life should be, should be like, especially as they follow in his footsteps, ultimately to martyrdom uh, for the cause of the gospel and what their attitude should be and their practice. Well, I don't want to revisit the message that I gave you uh, two or three weeks ago or so, but uh, let's briefly go over the chapters in John just to kind of catch us up on things. So John chapter 13, we see Jesus, the true example of servanthood, the example of true servanthood. This is where he disrobes himself and put, wraps himself in a towel. He takes on the form of a servant. And then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. No way, Lord, you can't, wa you can't wash me. You know, Peter withdraws. He says, you've got to be washed. And uh, so it's a perfect example of Jesus' servanthood to all the people. And uh, he's saying to the disciples, as you have seen me do, I want you to do it. It wasn't that he was instituting foot washing as a practice necessarily for the church. But he was saying, be in, follow my example as a servant and uh, begin to serve one another. And uh, it talks about all of those things. In John chapter 14, Jesus promises a secure future. Uh, he's building a place where his servants will be welcomed. He says, don't worry about it. You know, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, uh, you know, my father's, in my father's house are many abodes and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back. The disciples should not be worried now, nor in the future. If they face persecution or even death for the cause of Christ, don't worry. Your future is secure if you believe in me. And, and then he talks to them in John 14, 6. Of course, you know, he's the only way. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is also promising in John 14 again that he's going to send another counselor, an advocate, a mentor, as we talked about, um, the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus is the true vine. And uh, his disciples must be fruitful branches to glorify God. The world will hate his disciples, he says, but they must stay faithful. Jesus again promises the Holy Spirit. He will witness or testify about about me. In John 16, he warns them that persecution is coming and that Jesus is leaving, but the Spirit is both here and coming. He says, he is with you. He shall be in you. And then, in, as we read later in the Gospels in the book of Acts, the Spirit comes upon them. And when the Spirit comes upon them, that gives them the power to be a witness. And... Um, 
and the, the advocate comes in the place of Christ and he is here, the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and justice or judgment to come. In John 17, prayer, as I mentioned, is vital. So Jesus prays to the Father. The disciples witness this uh, prayer, especially Peter, James, and John. It's telling us a deep and clear relationship with the Father is essential and that we must yield to his will. Lord, I pray this cup, this cup of death, this cup of destiny uh, would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Amen. And so that should be our prayer too. So this past Wednesday night, Pastor Ron gave his amazing and wonderful testimony about how he uh, not only came to Christ, but also experienced an infilling of the Holy Spirit after he had become a believer. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just sort of uh, piggyback on what Pastor Ron did, and I'll share with you my personal experience of what happened to me over these last uh, years. I was going to say the last two weeks have been wonderful, but I'm not, you know, old joke. But anyway... <laughs> So I gave my heart to Jesus at the age of 10. My parents and I were attending a large evangelistic meeting. Um, Leighton Ford, who's Billy Graham's brother-in-law, was a Billy Graham associate evangelist at the time. And he was preaching the gospel to several thousand people. And as I sat listening to Dr. Ford preach, I felt convicted in my heart and heard the Lord tell me to respond to the gospel. At the altar call... I turned and asked my parents, could we go down there? Could we go down the stadium stairs to the main floor? And so my parents took me down, and I prayed with a broken heart and many tears with the counselor that met us to receive Jesus. And I remember shedding tears of joy all the way home in the car, and I told my brother what I had done. The presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was so real and so close in those days I knew that I had been saved. I had given my life to Jesus and that he had come to live inside of me. So I lived close to the Lord until my teenage years and then I stopped serving him because basically I wanted to be accepted by all of my worldly, ungodly friends. So I left Jesus behind, so to speak. But then something happened when I was 16 years old I basically had had a party lifestyle up until then. We did, we pretty much uh, smoked dope every day after school. Um, we did a lot of dope on the weekends and drank ourselves silly, silly at cake parties all the time. It was a terrible lifestyle. But when I was 16 years old, the Jesus movement had swept across Western Canada. It had come up from California and gone to the West Coast and was coming from west to east, and thousands of hippies uh, and young people were being powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit's power, saved and delivered from drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And during that time, two of my friends, one of which had a reputation of being a Satan worshiper, and the other one, uh, we, we essentially called her Crazy Jane because she'd done so much LSD, so much acid, that her mind just was not straight. But they both suddenly were dramatically changed. They had given their hearts to Jesus as a result of contact with the Jesus movement. 
at the Jesus People Church, and suddenly these people, these two friends of mine, were strangely happy, smiling and carrying Bibles everywhere they went and witnessing about Jesus to anyone who would listen. As time went on, I began to be convicted of my own sin and the way I'd been living, and uh, they were taking their toll. But under the conviction from the Lord, I decided to, decided to go to the Jesus party. That's what we called them in those days. And when I went to the church, I pulled open the door of the church, and I, mean, I remember being overwhelmed by the presence of God as it hit me as I opened the door. And I heard hundreds of young people worshiping spontaneously, singing in the spirit, and seeking God. And this was like an hour and a half before the actual service began. And I knew that was, I somehow knew that was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that I was feeling. They were praying loudly, singing words I didn't understand. I found out later that was speaking in tongues. At the altar call that night, I went forward. I repented of my sin. And hands were laid on me, many praying in English and in, and in spiritual languages or tongues around me. And I felt the Spirit of God fill me up and rise up inside of me. And soon I was speaking in tongues. I had no idea what it was. But it was changing my life from the inside out. I was water baptized that night. And when they baptized me, I remember to this day feeling like I was under the water for eternity. And I was so aware of the presence of God and my sins left me again, so to speak. I believe I was born again, but I, but I needed so much cleansing. Jesus came and met me and took it all away. And I rose up to walk in newness of life. In that summer, just in a two-month period, a thousand hippies and young people came to Christ exactly the same way I had in one church. It was such a great move of God, and you've seen that. If you've seen the film Jesus Revolution, you, you see what that was like in those days, and some of you remember those days. And the church had to provide large old homes that became dormitories for the men and women to live in as they were getting set free and getting their lives together. The baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is so important and powerful for every believer. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Scripture are given to every one of us for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 in this translation says, To each is given the public manifestation of the Spirit for common advantage. About a year later, I encountered another young man of God at a different church and I was there with a couple of friends of mine and he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And I remember being refilled with the Spirit, so to speak. He laid his hands on me and the Lord just touched me dramatically. In fact, I told that, that uh, pastor just this week how I remember vividly my experience when he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And I was refilled with the Spirit again. It's not just a one-time thing. And we need to open our hearts up to just receive more from Jesus. Uh, ten years later, 
I ended up on his staff at a church in Texarkana as one of the staff pastors serving under him. So that impartation affected the great direction of my life. Eight years later, another person laid their hands on me and I, the impartation of the song of the Lord, a prophetic song, began to manifest itself in my life. So quickly, I want to go through some other concepts and uh, some of them are derived from the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the Spirit of God. In Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, it tells us of what we would normally think of as seven spirits, but it's really one spirit of the Lord, but seven aspects or dimensions to the work of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11, a shoot will come forth from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is a messianic prophecy about Jesus. And it says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And then it kind of further defines the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And just like it's pictured in the lampstand, I think we have a picture of it that will come up here in a second. We think about the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. This was the meeting place uh, for God to meet with his people that the Lord told them to build. And uh, so this is a depiction of the menorah or the lampstand, or the candlestick, uh, that was inside the holy place in the tabernacle of Moses. And we note that the, it looks like there's mirror-type uh, images. The, the walls of the inside of the tabernacle were coated with pure gold. So they uh, reflected the light of the menorah. And so this menorah stood about a little over five feet tall, and the one center light always kept burning, miraculously actually, kept burning for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the light would just shine off the gold wall and then reflect back in. It was the only source of light in the holy place. There are seven aspects to this, and this is a, uh, showing the the fullness, so to speak, of the presence of God bringing illumination to us as we stand before God in truth. Amen. In Revelation 2.1, we read, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is depicted as walking in the midst of a representation of the menorah and those are reflections of his glory they're aspects of the fullness of his spirit and he says he, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus as Jesus writes to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor uh, as John uh, uh, writes down the words of Jesus that Jesus was sending uh, to those churches and um, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus that they should repent because they'd lost their first love or else he would come and take away their lampstand. In other words, their effective witness would be dimmed because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord and the truth of the gospel. So we need to stay committed to the truth of the gospel and stay committed to the light and the glory and the presence of God as it comes to us through the avenue of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
The reason we need to do this is so we can be faithful witnesses and shine as lights in this dark world. In Revelation 2.5, it says, Therefore, remember from what high state you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is, if you do not repent. So Israel had also been symbolized by the lampstand emblem. But when successive generations renounced their calling to be a light to the nations, God removed them as his light-bearing and people and transferred the emblem of that call to the church. God's prophetic witnesses are identified. He says, um, it's possible that the Ephesians leaving their first love is their suppression of the spiritual gifts. So like they decided not to seek after the best gifts, right? That was for the building up of the church. And, and when they did that, they began to lose the testimony of the power of God. Paul said, the gospel that I preach to you is not in the words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. And that's part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as represented uh, not only by the lampstand, but by other things as well. Proverbs 20, 27 says, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's most inmost being. So Zechariah the high priest, in the book of Zechariah, the high priest Joshua is depicted in front uh, asking about two olive trees. In Zechariah 4, 6, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord in Zerubbabel, or to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two golden pipes that pour out golden oil? So this is a, a picture of the necessity of of staying in close connection to the source of the Spirit of God, staying in close connection to Jesus so that we can have the oil, which is what the, the lampstand burned, oil, and the priest had to trim it, trim the wicks, and fill them with oil every day in order to keep the light on inside the tabernacle. And I want to say... Inside of us is the candle of the Lord, as we just read in Proverbs, and we need to stay connected, right? So that the oil of the Spirit refills us, and we need, by confession and prayer, to trim our wick so that we will burn brighter with the oil of God, with the, the Holy Spirit's power, amen? So daily refreshing, infilling, and worship is essential to living a life of significant witness. Daily, the priests were assigned to fill the menorah lamps with oil, as I said, and to trim the wicks. So after you're initially saved, or saved and then filled with the Spirit, or baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit, you need to maintain your relationship with Jesus, right? And this is part of what he was conveying to the apostles as he's telling him, I'm going to leave you guys behind, but you're not going to be alone. I'm going to send the power of my spirit upon you, and he's with you. He's going to be in you, and he's going to come upon you. But John 15, he says, stay connected, right? 
Stay connected to the main vine. You're the branches. I'm the vine. Stay connected to the vine so that your life can be fruitful. We all need to be refilled with the oil of the presence of the Spirit. We all need to be maintaining our fellowship with the Lord through confession of sin. It's not that you need to get saved again, but if the Bible says, you know, if we sin, we believers sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know, and if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he's justified to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's talking to believers. And so believers are given them way to stay close to the Lord so that, and then through, not only through confession of sin, but through worship and the word of God, we stay close to Jesus. And then Jesus keeps flowing in us and giving us the boldness and the reassurance and the confidence and the prayer life and the, and the, the hope beyond the grave kind of, a, kind of thing that will make us effective witnesses. As we confess and worship and read the word, this is like trimming the wicks of the lamps of our hearts. This is so we can burn brightly with his presence so that the presence of, this, of the spirit and his gifts can anoint us and flow through us. So Ephesians 5, 17, it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and, spirit, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of Jesus. So this tells us the way to stay filled, right? So once you've experienced Christ and salvation, and maybe you've received a, an additional infilling and anointing from God as people have prayed, what some call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where Jesus immerses you and, and covers you completely in his Holy Spirit for the purpose of making you an effective witness, so once that happens, then we need to maintain our relationship. And part of it tells us how to stay filled. He says, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, songs in the spirit. Make music in your heart, giving thanks for everything. And then cleansing from sin is essential. And we're not, uh, uh, there, there's a, pa uh, connected to the passage in Zechariah where the Lord takes off the, the filthy clothes the, uh, of the, and, and the angel um, take off those filthy clothes. He said to Joshua, see, I've taken your sin. I put fine garments. And he puts a, uh, a, a clean turban on his head so that he can minister effectively. So here's the good news. You may feel like God is away from you sometimes, like he's distant feel like you aren't close to the Holy Spirit. But here's a promise from Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. What is this talking about? It's talking about the attitude of the Lord, the Messiah when he comes, that he's going to be merciful, that he's not just going to you know, snuff out the wick. But if it's, if it's even smoldering a little, he'll trim it. 
he'll make it come to life again. Maybe you feel like you're just been, you've just been a smoldering wick lately. And, you know, you're not burning too brightly. Or you know somebody that's not burning too brightly, and they should be. Don't snuff them out. Just begin to encourage them. Lay hands on them. Pray for them to be filled with the Spirit again and stir up the gift that's in them by the putting on of hands and, and um, let Jesus work on their smoldering wick, right? The word smoldering wick or dimly burning wick in Hebrew is the same as in Isaiah 61, which is often translated as the spirit of failing or the spirit of heaviness. He says, I'm going to give you the garment of praise in the place of the spirit of failing or the spirit of the dimly burning wick, right? I'm going to give you the garment of praise. So what should we do? We should worship. We should praise the Lord. We should glorify him. And it will refresh the dimly burning wick. It'll take, get rid of that spirit of heaviness and it will replace it with great joy. The Lord promises that he will not extinguish us if we're dimly burning. Instead, he will trim our wick and replenish our oil in forgiveness and restoration so we can burn bright again for him. He tells us how to restore relationship with him. He, give, he will give us the garment of praise in the place of the spirit of failing. Praise is one way to stay filled with the spirit, as I said. He won't let the dimly burning, smoldering wick burn out. That is why we are to put on the garment of praise. So let me ask you, are you thirsty for his presence? We were singing a song. Uh, we're going to sing it in the second service. And it uh, uses words from old hymns to recount truths about what the Lord has done in our lives. And it says, I remember those melodies, the words we sang when we first believed, songs of redemption, stories of hope. I remember those. When we were rehearsing it this morning, it touched my soul because I was recalling when I first got saved, I was recalling the songs we used to sing during the Jesus movement. I was recalling the mighty wave of the Holy Spirit as he swept across Western Canada. I was recalling all the great times that I'd seen in the presence of God when I pastored or being here at this church. And it made me thirsty and hungry again for the move of the Holy Spirit in my own life, amen. Psalm 42.1 in closing says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. So Father, thank you. I, I pray that Lord Jesus, you would touch us so that we can touch others, that we would be burning brightly, full of praise, honoring you in all things, Reassure our hearts, Lord, when we go through struggles, difficulties, or we face uh, bad problems, Lord, or things that just seem overwhelming to our lives. Please re remind us of how close you are to us, how much you love us, and how much you care. And please fill us all with the Holy Spirit, I pray. And uh, every day, Lord, let us draw near to you. 
And for those that don't know Christ, I pray they would say yes to Jesus and uh, that they would confess their sins and allow you, ask you to come into their lives and be their Savior. We give you praise, Jesus. Everybody said amen. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.